Hey, good morning to you. Uh, you just said out of your mouth, if you read that very helpful confession that Levi uh, just put on the screen there, you said out of your mouth, Father, you have made us as precious to you as Jesus. That is a mind-blowing statement. So easy to say that. Father, you have made us as precious to you as Jesus and so difficult to really, truly believe that. But in Christ, that's who you are. If you trust in Christ today, the Father has made you. It makes no difference what your week looked like. It makes no difference what you've done or how you've messed up. The Father looks at you and says, you are just as precious to me right now as Jesus. And man, my prayer that God would really help us to believe that that we would just simply believe it. God, help us to do that. Because I don't think we always do. I know I don't. So man, God, help us this morning. And our sermon today, will kind of touch on that a bit. If you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And in just a minute here, we'll read verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Let's go ahead and pray first. Father, we do thank you. We just thank you. Father, I just ask that you give us faith to believe the things that your word says. Father, that we in Christ are just as precious to you as Jesus. Every single second of every day of our lives, no matter what we say, think, or do, that is simply who we are to you, precious in your eyes, treasured in your eyes, as much as your only Son. Father, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to grasp that today. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, just to kind of let you know here what we'll be doing the next few Sundays. Uh, I just finished last Sunday preaching through the book of Nehemiah. He finally got the wall built, so we're done. Uh, starting next Sunday, for the next four Sundays, all the way up to Christmas Eve, we'll be doing some Advent sermons. I'm just covering a few biblical texts that looked forward to the first coming of Jesus. We're going to do a bit more this year for Advent during December, do some things we've never done before, spend a little more time looking forward to the first Advent of Jesus and also looking forward to the second and final Advent of Jesus. I think you'll enjoy that. I hope you will. That will start next Sunday. And today then, we have this funky little spot spot here for a sort of standalone sermon. And and what I'd like to think about here with you today is this. I'd like to think about knowing the love of Christ. And after my sabbatical last summer, I preached a sermon on the love of God. And man, I don't think we can ever hear too much about the love of God. And this is a little extension of that sermon, a a final installation maybe to that uh, sabbatical overflow series there. Just thinking today about knowing the love of Christ or knowing the love of God. 
You know, the Bible tells us very clearly that God is a God of love. And this God of love, well, the Bible also says that he loves us very, very much. Even though we have all rebelled against God, sinned against him in many ways, even though we all now deserve his eternal wrath, well, God still loves us so much so that he sent his own son Jesus to bear the penalty for our sin. And man, when you turn to Christ in faith in your life and you you just turn from your sin and you cry out to Jesus, Jesus in faith and you begin to follow Jesus in faith, well, man, God forgives you of all your sin. God then brings you into his family as his child. And man, please listen to me. At that point, as his child, God now loves you with an infinite, eternal love. Man, I just love the, uh, the, the little Jesus storybook Bible for kids. If you've not read that, adults, you ought to go read it, how it points to Jesus. And man, that little Jesus storybook Bible for kids, it says this. It says that you now, as a child of God, well, God now loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And you think you love your kids, you think you care for them and, and you want to provide for them. You, 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 you hurt when they hurt. You rejoice when they rejoice. Well, that's not even close to the way the Heavenly Father feels about you as His kid. And, and here's the thing. As a child of God, well, God now wants you to know that He loves you. And, and God doesn't just want you to know that He loves you up here in your mind. No, God also wants you to know that he loves you down here, in your heart, in your affections. You know, I think a lot of Christians, they stop with the head. They know the love of God in their minds, maybe. They, they, they know in their heads what the Bible says about God's love for them. They've maybe memorized scriptures about God's love for them, but it remains, for the most part, just a head knowledge of God's love. Knowing God's love for you up here in your mind, that, that is so important. That's where it starts. You have to know the simple biblical truths about God's love love for you, but it cannot stop there because God also wants you as his child to know his love for you in your heart. God wants you to experience his love for you. He wants you to taste his love for you down in your affections. When God's love for you penetrates your heart, it should grip your affections. You get God's truth. It's not supposed to just stop in your mind. It's supposed to go through your mind to your affections. And God wants you to know deep in your affections that he loves you. Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, he talked about a twofold knowledge of God. Jonathan Edwards said that God created us as humans to be able to know things about him in our heads, but also in our hearts. 
Edwards said this, and you'll have to bear with his 18th century language here. Jonathan Edwards says some great stuff when you read it 16 times. And you're like, wow, I actually get it. Just catch the sense of what he's saying, this twofold knowledge of God, or, or that's what, that which is good in God. He says, there is a twofold knowledge of good of which God has made the mind of man capable. The first type of knowledge, that which is merely notional, or academic, and the other type of knowledge is that which consists in the sense of the heart, as when the heart is sensible of pleasure and delight in the presence of the idea of it. In the former, the first type of knowledge is exercised merely the understanding in distinction from the disposition of the soul. Thus, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness because you've tasted it. A man may have the former, a rational judgment that honey is sweet, that knows not how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter, a sense of honey sweetness, unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. And hopefully you can catch the sense of it there, this twofold knowledge of God. You, you can know something about God in your mind. A rational judgment about something simply because the Bible tells you that it's so. You, you know up here that God loves you because the Bible says so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But don't stop there. Because God has created you to know things also in a deeper way, a sense of the heart. That information in your head that God loves you, that coin of truth up there in your head, well, God wants it to begin to drop into your heart so that you begin to actually taste his love for you. You begin to feel it in your affections, you know, in your mind that his love like honey is sweet because the Bible tells you so. But you also now begin to taste the honey of his love to be sweet in your heart. Twofold knowledge of the love of God. And that second knowledge of God, it's not just Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Now it's gone deeper, and now it's also Jesus loves me, this I know, because I have also tasted it to be so. I now don't just know honey is sweet because you told me, but I've actually tasted that the honey is sweet. And God wants you, listen, as a child of God, God wants you to have this twofold knowledge of his love for you. Not just a knowledge of his love in your head, but also tasting it in your heart. God working through the truth of his word and impacting your affections. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was praying for here in Ephesians 3. 
You know, Paul originally wrote this letter of Ephesians to a bunch of Gentile or non-Jewish Christians living in the town of Ephesus. And we're just going to look here at what Paul prays for these Christians in Ephesus. Let's go ahead and read it, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason, for this reason, because of everything I already wrote to you, I now bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a simple prayer there. He goes on to say, God is able to answer my prayer above anything we ask, think, or imagine. God can do it. But what is Paul praying there for these Christians? Just kind of follow the chain there. Verse 16, may you Christians be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in your inner beings. May the Holy Spirit do a deep inner work in you. And why? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Christ was already dwelling in their hearts through faith. They were Christians. They already possessed the indwelling Holy Spirit. So Paul was probably praying there that Christ would now dwell in them more powerfully through faith, more fully through faith. The Spirit of Jesus now overflowing them through faith. But why? Why? What's the ultimate goal of Paul's entire prayer here? Just follow the chain. May you be strengthened by the, by the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And now look at the middle of verse 17. If you'll put that on the screen. I pray that God will do all that other stuff that or in order that you being rooted and grounded in Love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You just follow his, his thinking there. I'm praying for that first stuff, Christians. I'm praying for this deep work of God's Spirit in you. I'm praying that Christ might dwell in you more fully, more, more, more powerfully. And I'm praying these things for you in order that you might then be rooted deeply in and you might also be grounded firmly upon the love of Christ for you. And he goes on, that you might now, Christians, somehow have the internal Holy Spirit strength to comprehend, to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love for you, and that you might know, Christians, the love of Christ for you that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. 
And Paul was praying that these Christians here, that they would know the love of Christ for them. Not just a head knowledge of the love of Christ. Paul was praying that they would have a deep down Holy Spirit wrought heart knowledge. That they might somehow be able to comprehend in their souls the infinite love of Jesus Christ for them. That they might taste it. That they might know his affections for them, not just mental, but in the heart. Man, these people here, these Christians in Ephesus, listen, they already knew now in their heads that God loved them. They already had the bare facts of God's love for them. How do we know? Well, that's the first part of Ephesians, <laughs> chapters 1, 2, and 3. Man, the entire first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul is just drilling into these Christians' minds the facts concerning God's love for them. Chapter 1, Paul said that God in love had predestined them for adoption. God had redeemed them through the blood of Jesus, given them an inheritance. God had blessed them with every single spiritual blessing. Chapter 2, Paul said that even as Gentiles, non-Jews, well, God through Christ had now brought them into his one family along with Jewish Christians. God had brought them near as fellow citizens, as members of the one household of God. Everything Paul has said in this book so far has just screamed to these Christians, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Man, these Christians, they now know in their minds, they have the bare facts of God's love for them, but that was not enough for Paul. No, he falls on his knees now turning away from talking to these people. He turns and he prays to God that the Holy Spirit will now empower these Christians to somehow comprehend, to grasp, to, to, to know deep in their hearts the love of Christ for them. A love, Paul says, that surpasses knowledge. It goes way beyond. Just to bear head knowledge, much richer, deeper, bigger than just a mental knowledge of bare facts. Paul wants these believers here to have a twofold knowledge of God's love for them, not just knowing it up here, but knowing the love of God, the love of Jesus deep in their hearts, their affections. Man, you just picture Paul. Father, I've now told them about the sweetness of your love for them. They know it now in their minds. And will you please now, Father, by the, Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let them taste your love to be sweet. Let them know it in their soul. And here's the thing, God wants to do that in you. In every single Christian here in this room, He wants to give you a twofold knowledge of His love for you. 
if you trust in Christ today, you're, you're now following Christ in simple childlike faith. Man, God wants you as his child to know. He wants you to know that you are loved by him. He wants you to know it in your mind. He wants you to know what the Bible says about his love for you. He wants you to know the objective truths of the Bible about his love for you. But God also wants you to know it in your heart, by experience, in your affections, that he loves you deeply. Those biblical truths in your mind. Well, man, God now wants to kind of massage those truths into your heart. He wants to cause kind of the coin of that truth to drop deeper and deeper into your affections. And man, the problem is that those 18 inches between your head and your heart are the greatest distance on the planet. Listen, it's rather easy to know the love of God for you in your mind. You just read about it in the Bible. Just memorize the scriptures in your mind concerning the love of God. But it's not that easy at all for those truths to then drop into your heart. So you actually believe it deeply. So you're actually convinced on a daily basis, no matter what you do, that your Father loves you. He treasures you just the way he treasures Christ. You're just as precious to him as Christ is. And it's so hard to get that to drop into your souls. But man, it's got to happen. We desperately need those truths to drop into our hearts. Listen, if you've ever been in love with someone before, then you know with your wife or with your, your husband or, 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 or with your girlfriend, your, your boyfriend, you know that love is not just a mind thing. I know you love me, Molly, simply because you tell me so. Yes, that's part of it. There's got to be part of it, but it's not enough. Love is also a heart thing. I know you love me because I also feel it. I feel it in your embrace. I see it in your eyes when you look at me. That's love. That's love. And a relationship with God is no different than that. It's not just mind, it's also got to be heart and affections. Sensing the love of God through his truth, deep down in your soul. That's Christianity. Twofold knowledge of God, but I think a lot of Christians probably stop with the head. A very cerebral knowledge of God's love. It, it, it comes out as just cold doctrine. Knowing it up here, memorized it up here, but not really feeling it deeply. Not really convinced of it deeply down here. We all need God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, to massage those truths about his love deeper into our affections. I know I do. Man, when I left for sabbatical, I just knew I needed a deeper heart knowledge of God's love for me. 
I needed to taste it. I needed to feel it. I needed to experience in a deeper way my father's embrace of me. His kiss of me. And if that language disturbs you, just go to Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Jesus is telling us what the father's like there. He's a father who embraces his kids, who kisses his kids with compassion and joy and love and tenderness. That's God. And our hearts long for the kiss of God, not just in black and white words, but in Holy Spirit-wrought experience. We need to taste his love. Man, I needed it going on sabbatical. We all need it. If you're at this point right here and you think, I got no problem with the love of God, I got it, man. I feel it. Can I just tell you, you got a problem with the love of God? You do. Because nobody here has arrived. We've all got things inside of us that, that, that keep us from, from, from believing so often that he really loves us. We've got these things in us that resist it, and we hear it, and yes, we get it, we got it, we got it, but how deep does that actually sink into your soul, your affections? We need it. We need it to drop. I needed it to drop. We all needed it to drop. So, man, here's the 60 bazillion dollar question. How does that happen? Uh, I mean, how does our knowledge of God's love for us move from here to here? How can we begin to experience God's love for us a little more, feel it, taste it in, in our affections, in, in our soul? Well, we can obviously pray for it to happen like, like Paul did for these Christians here. You know, you know that prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians? I pray Paul's prayer there regularly for our entire church Oh Lord, strengthen us by your spirit in our inner beings in order that Christ might dwell in us richly in order that we might somehow know, in order that we, all of us, might, might taste in our souls the love of Christ for us. God, don't let, it be, 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 don't let us be content as a body, Lord. Don't let us be content here with a mere head knowledge of your love. Minds that, that, that know your love, but hearts that are cold, that are unaffected by and large by your love. Man, we can pray that God's love for us would drop from here to here. What else can we do? I mean, what can we do to get this thing down into our hearts that we be convinced that God loves us? Can you imagine what your days would be like if you believed firmly and fully every single day of your life that your father actually loved you? That you were precious in his eyes and nothing you could ever do, Christian, would change that. And you lived every bit of your life out of the love of God for you. It would free you up in a million different ways. Oh, man, we need it. What can we do to get this thing down in our souls? Man, I thought a lot about that on my sabbatical and God very graciously began to help me with it. Just give me some simple little things. One thing I did this summer, I spent, uh, uh, I spent some time this summer looking at the Apostle John in the Bible, reading the Gospel of John, reading the letters of John, just reading the very, very slowly, trying to absorb what was going on there. And man, if there was ever a person in the world who, 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 who really knew the love of God, not just in head, but in heart, uh, it was probably John. Uh, John, man, man, many people call this guy the apostle of love. Uh, he just talks about love 
all of the time. Uh, in 1 John alone, John mentions the word love some 30 different times. John knew deep in his heart that Jesus loved him intensely. You know how John describes himself in his gospel? He simply calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that's how John knew himself. That was John's self-identity. You, you would run into John at High V today and say, hey, nice to meet you. Who are you? What do you do? Well, who, I, who am I? I'm the disciple Jesus loved. What do I do? I receive love, and then I just live out of that. That was his self-identity, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And man, I do think there's probably something you and I can do to begin to taste the love of Jesus, more like John, as I thought about it over the summer, looking at John's uh, life, I began to think about it like this. You, you want to know the love of, of, of you want to know better the love of Jesus for you? Deep in your affections? Well, here's one thing you can do. Just listen every day to the Savior's heartbeat. Listen every single day to the Savior's heartbeat. You know, there was a significant moment in John's life. Many of you know it. The Last Supper. You just picture it. Jesus and his disciples are all sitting around this low table on the floor. Jesus had just told them that one of them was going to betray him. And, and John 13, 22 then says this. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom Jesus spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' Side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? It's kind of a simple statement in there. If you, if you read it too quickly, I think you kind of miss it. John, John says there, now John is writing, and he says there that the disciple whom Jesus loved, well, that's John himself, and he says that he was reclining at Jesus' side. I'm not a huge fan of that translation there because it sounds like John was just sitting next to Jesus and, and it kind of misses entirely the radical intimacy that's there. A literal translation of the Greek, which the New American Standard translation catches, and a literal translation would be this. John was reclining in or on the bosom or the chest of Jesus. And verse 25 said, John was leaning back against Jesus. And listen, I don't think John wants you to just rush past that and, and, and miss that. No, I think that was a very important moment for John. So important, in fact, that John repeats it later in the book. John 21, the last chapter in the gospel. Jesus had now risen from the dead. Jesus was walking with Peter. John was behind them. And John now says this about himself in John 
21, 25, he says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And listen, when John wrote those words there, it was 60 years after the events took place. So John, man, 60 years later in his life, he's looking back at his life with Jesus, and he's like this little gold miner kind of sifting through the stream of his memories with, with Jesus. And what does he say about himself at the very end of his gospel? The disciple whom Jesus loved who leaned back against him. Listen. The early church after John, the early church knew that was a significant moment. When Irenaeus in AD 180 was talking about the four gospel accounts that you now have in your Bible, uh, Irenaeus said this about John's gospel. He said, last of all, John too, the disciple of the Lord who leaned against his breast himself brought out a gospel while he was in Ephesus. Man, the early church knew that that was a significant moment in the life of John. And man, if you will really just stop and think about that moment, it is an absolutely mind-blowing moment. John, little unknown fisherman, Jew, 20-something years old, when it happened, sinful man like you and like me, rested his head on the very heart of God himself. Resting his head on the heart of the man whom the Council of Nicaea defined as being co-equal and consubstantial to the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And John rested his head upon the heart of this God-man. And I think that right there was probably a life-changing moment for John. We don't know everything that happened for John, but you can just stop and consider you know, if we could ask John today, how did you come to know, not just in your head, but deep in your heart, the love of Jesus for you? How did you come, John, to believe deeply that, the, that your primary identity in this life was the disciple whom Jesus loved? I think John might point to that right there as one of the ways that he learned those things. I simply leaned upon his chest and I listened to his heartbeat. And I knew Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Laying on his chest, looking into his eyes. Can you imagine what Jesus looked like when he looked at John there? Can you imagine the Last Supper and here John is leaning back into you? Can you imagine how Jesus looked at him? The tenderness, the compassion, the grace, the kindness in his eyes. 
That wasn't the only reason John knew he was loved by Jesus, I'm sure. Mm -mm. I think that was part of it. I actually think that right there was probably a good picture of John's entire life with Jesus. Man, this guy John uh, had his head on the heart of Jesus, not just once at the Last Supper, but, but really his entire life, I think. I think his entire life, John was probably leaning into Jesus. He was listening to Jesus. He's standing by Jesus' mother at the cross. He's, he's looking into the eyes of Jesus. He's walking with Jesus. He's talking with Jesus. He's eating with Jesus. He slept beside Jesus. I think this man's entire life, he was really kind of leaning in, leaning up against the heart of Jesus, listening to his heart beat. And John knew, not just in his head. Man, this guy knew in his heart. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. He loves me. 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 And if you and I, man, if, you, if we want to know the love of Jesus more like John, not just in the head, but also in the heart, deep in our hearts, affections, our tasting, experiencing the love of Jesus more. If we want these truths of God's love to drop more from our head down to our hearts, I think we also probably need somehow to put our heads against the chest of Jesus and listen, listen to his heart beat. Because every single heartbeat of Jesus says to you, as a child of God, I love you. I love you. He's not here, obviously, himself in flesh. He is here in the body of Christ. I do actually think we can, in a spiritual way, sort of lean against his chest and listen to his heart of love for us. There are probably lots of ways we can now do it. Let me just mention one, the one I thought about most on sabbatical. I, I think we can now listen to the Savior's heartbeat in secret, alone, just you and Jesus. Man, I think we can definitely hear his heart of love for us in fellowship with other believers, with the body of Christ. We can hear his heartbeat of love for us as other believers embrace us no matter what and speak his words of love to us. Man, somehow we are incarnating Christ to other Believers at that time, the body of Christ actually embracing us, speaking love to us. We can definitely find that in fellowship with other believers. I didn't have fellowship with a lot of other believers, at least from this body, uh, during sabbatical. I had my family, but we were traveling a ton. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how we could just hear the heartbeat of Jesus' love for us in secret alone. You know, Jesus himself, during his life on earth, he went off frequently by himself, desolate places, solitude, silence, stillness. He's just listening to his father's heartbeat of love for him, communing with his father. And Jesus was setting a pattern for us there. If Jesus needed that, how much more do we? Just time alone. 
The secret place, solitude, silence at times, just you and Jesus. Man, it is just really hard as a Christian to hear the Savior's heartbeat of love for you clearly when you're never away from the noise. You know, Elijah was standing alone in the mouth of a cave when he heard the Word of God in a still, small whisper. So let me encourage you. You want to hear the Savior's heartbeat of love for you more? Take a little time. Take a little time every day if you can just to get away from the noise. Man, I've told you before, my own pattern now is to try to take just three breaks during the day. A little bit of a longer break in the morning and then also at lunch and also in the evening. A little word, prayer, just stillness. So I just encourage you, man, try to do something like that. Find your secret place. Jesus in the book of Matthew talks about when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. A secret place. Find your secret place, whatever that looks like to you. But, but here's the thing. Once you do establish some sort of rhythm in your life, beginning to get away a bit each day, just you and Jesus, well, listen, you then actually have to learn how to listen to his heartbeat of love for you. Man, for many Christians, that their personal time alone with God, it's just, it's just more noise. It's just more activity as it is to read that and, 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 and do this and, and, and talk, talk, talk in, in prayer. And man, if, that's, if it's all noise and activity to you, you can easily miss Jesus in there. You, you can easily miss him there. We have to learn how to slow down just a bit. Actually commune with the person of Jesus. Not just communing with black and white words, but communing with the person of Jesus. Intentionally listening for his heartbeat of love. Maybe you just sit in silence for a few minutes just contemplating his love for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Just contemplating his love for you. Or maybe meditating quietly on scriptures that talk about his love for you. Man, when you're alone in that secret place, not just this hardcore study of God's word, there's definitely a time for that. But man, actually going to the written word in order to find the living word, in order to commune with the person of Jesus Christ. Not just putting more into your mind, but asking Jesus to take it from your mind into your heart. Looking for ways there just to lay your head on his chest and hear his heartbeat. Christian meditation. You know, meditation's not a freaky word unless you're in Eastern religions. And then it is, don't do it. <laughs> but there is a Christian meditation. Psalm 1 talks about meditating on the law of God. Psalm 4 talks about pondering in our hearts silently upon our beds. There is a Christian meditation. One writer describes Christian meditation like this. He says, rather than analyzing or thinking about the passage, simply let yourself soak in it. There's no need to do anything with the words you read. Instead, let them do something to you. Don't be preoccupied with examining what is happening. Just allow the words to turn over in your mind and wash over your heart. I hope that doesn't sound strange to you. 
It's a very biblical thing to do. I believe Martin Luther said this. It is an eternal word and must be understood and contemplated with a quiet mind. No one else can understand except a mind that contemplates in silence. Just, man, find a scripture. You want to move the love of God more from your head to your heart? Try it. Find a scripture that talks about God's love for you as his child and soak in it for a while like a dry sponge in water. Just basking in the light of that scripture, letting the words turn over in your mind, letting them wash your heart. Let the Holy Spirit begin to speak those words to your heart directly. Your engagement with the Word of God should be an engagement with the Spirit of God, speaking those words, not just to your mind, but your heart. It's like marinating. Some of you like to cook, grill. I don't marinate. Uh, I grill hot dogs. Oh, I don't marinate them first. Uh, you think of marinating. It's just this piece of meat sitting in this juice for a while, and all of a sudden, what happens to it? It becomes juicy. And as believers, we actually need to meditate, or marinate, I'm sorry. Marinate, marinate, marinate. Marinate in some scriptures that speak of God's love for you. Let them actually soak into your mind, down into your heart. Let them get to the place in you where you actually start to believe them. That you actually start to become convinced that God really does love me as his child. Soak in scriptures like this, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, or put your name in there, Christian, but that he loved me and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath-bearing sacrifice for my sins and let that wash over your heart. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 23, meditate marinate in Psalm 23. Let it do your soul some good concerning the love of God for you. We sang about it earlier. Don't just rush past it. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want anything. You, Lord, you make me lie down in green pastures. You, Lord, you lead me beside still waters. You, Lord, you restore my soul. You, Lord, you love me. You care for me. Psalm 91, you, oh God, you will deliver me. You'll deliver me from the snares of this life. You, Lord God, you cover me right now with your, with your pinions under your wings. I find refuge. Zephaniah 3.17, Lord, you rejoice over me with gladness. You quiet me with your love. You exult over me was singing, do you believe that God your Father is right now rejoicing over you with gladness? 
no matter what you did this week, simply because of Christ. Or Luke 3.22, man, God the Father spoke this over Jesus at his baptism, but listen, if you are now in Christ by faith, then the Father now speaks this over you too. He looks at you and he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in Christ Jesus. I am well pleased with you. Man, Henry Nouwen says, that's just got to get down into your soul. I am the Father's beloved. I'm his beloved. Sounds like John. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Or Luke 15, man, just soak in that prodigal son passage. Man, help me, Father. Help me, Father, to know in my heart your compassion for me. Help me, Father, to somehow taste now deep in my affections your embrace for me, your kiss for me. Do you think the Holy Spirit cannot somehow communicate that to your soul? Of course He can. We just don't give Him time to do it. Marinate in words like those, God's words of love for you as His child. Give it time. Man, give time. Intentionally just let the Father love you. Give it time. I think it's one of the most important things we could do as His children. Let Him love us. Intentionally spend time there knowing that He loves you. Man, this is a love relationship. And any love relationship with a husband or wife, it just takes time. If you want it to flourish, you have to be together. You have to talk to one another. You have to listen to one another. And a love relationship with your heavenly father is the same thing. It takes time to cultivate a love relationship with God. If you just memorize the scripture and you're done, you won't get it most likely. Our hearts are just hard against his love for us. Man, you do this stuff, I think, more and more. I've just felt it in my life. That coin goes deeper. Your heart and not just your mind will begin to change. You'll begin to know deep in your heart that you truly are God's beloved child. Your heart begins to warm up to his love for you. And you slowly begin to say much more confidently with the Apostle John, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. You know what happens when, when, when that love of God starts sinking deeper in your heart? You, you know what happens in your life? You begin to love. 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. Love in equals love out. The more you marinate in the juice of God's love for you through Christ Jesus, the juicier you become with love for God and other people. I'll end with this. Brendan Manning tells the story of an old man who's dying. He was dying with cancer. The old man's daughter asked the pastor to come and pray with her father at his home. When the pastor arrived, he found the old man lying in bed with an empty chair beside his bed. And the pastor just assumed that the man had, had put the chair there for him. The pastor said, oh, you were expecting me. And the man said, no, who are you? 
And he said, well, I'm the pastor. Sorry, I just assumed that that chair was for me. And the old man said, no, shut the door. The pastor shut the door and the man said, I've never told anyone this, but all my life, I've never really known how to pray. I used to hear my old pastor talk about prayer, but it just went over my head and I eventually stopped trying to pray until about four years ago. My best friend said, Joe, prayer is just a simple conversation with Jesus. Maybe, maybe try this. Just put an empty chair in front of you and in faith see Jesus in that chair. It's not spooky because Jesus promised I'll be with you always. And then, Joe, just speak and just listen to Jesus in the same way you're doing with me now. And the old man said, so pastor, I, I tried it and I liked it so much that I now do it a couple hours every day. I'm careful though, if my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd think I was absolutely crazy. Uh, and the pastor, deeply moved by the man's story, just encouraged him, just keep doing what you're doing. The pastor prayed for him and then left. And two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her, her daddy had died. The pastor said, I'm so sorry, did he, did he die in peace? And she said, Yes, I think so. When I left the house around 2, he called me to his bedside. He told me one of his corny jokes. He kissed me on the cheek. And when I got back an hour later, he was, he was gone. But there was something strange, actually very strange. When I found him, he definitely looked peaceful. But his head was resting on the chair beside his bed. It's the story of a simple old man who learned one of the secrets of a walk with Christ. You learn how to put your head on his chest and you listen to his heartbeat for you. And my simple prayer is that God would do that for all of us. That you would learn somehow not just to know His love in your mind, but to put your head upon His chest and by the power of the Holy Spirit, listen to His heartbeat of love for you. And you will then know, not just in your head, but in your heart, you are the disciple that Jesus loves. Father, I just ask for Your help. I ask for Your help as a church. It's way too easy for us to turn Christianity into cold doctrine. And we thank You, Lord, for doctrine, for the good teaching You've given us, for the, for, for, uh, the excellent doctrine we feel like we have. But I pray, Father, that we would not be content with just doctrine, just knowing Your love in our minds. I pray, Father, You would do a deep work in all of us and You would somehow help us to hear not just in our heads but in our hearts the heartbeat, the heartbeat of love that Jesus has for us. I pray this in His name. Amen.